Hi everyone, I'm April. And I'm Christine. Before we get started, we wanted to warn you that the following content contains adult language, activities, and violence, and may not be suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Southern Discomfort. This is one of the most unique podcasts on the internet. Southern tales of the weird, wild, mysterious, unusual, voodoo, Voodoo. cryptids, hauntings. Are you intrigued yet? This is Southern Discomfort. Southern Discomfort. And now, your hosts, April and Christine. Hi y'all! Welcome back. Thanks, Welcome back, thanks everybody, for listening. If this is your first time joining us, well, welcome. And if y'all are repeat customers, then welcome back. So, Christine, are you ready for tonight's story? Mm. Yes, I am. You better be. I'm. I'm excited. I'm excited. So, everybody, better grab a drink and buckle up. Hop on and settle in. Speaking of hop on. Oh, yeah, that's right. The drink du jour. What do we have? We have hop on by Abita Brewery. Brewing. I can never say that word. Brewing. <laughs> and we've only just opened these. And we already <laughs> can't say brewing. That, that word gets me every time. <laughs> so, But it's a juicy pale. And it's hop on board. This juicy pale. It's packed with Cascades, Citra, and Equinot hops and has a hazy appearance with a fresh, juicy flavor. It's and good. It, it is good. It's very grapefruity. I mean, I'm not complaining. It's <laughs> it's just super. If you like grapefruit, you'll like the beer. I do, and I like the beer. And you know what? I think I found my Abita beer. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, because I just, except for strawberry I'm like, I don't, I don't like it. There's not an Abita that I really like, which I just try so hard to because it's so close. So. I know. Purple Haze is my favorite. Oh, yeah. I just, I can't like it. I oh, try. I, I try to, though. But um, th- that's our drink du jour, and that's because tonight we're in New Orleans. Again. Yeah, right again. We, we'll eventually get out of New Orleans, I promise. <laughs> it's not, I promise it's not the New Orleans Discover podcast, but it's not. But, <laughs> but, I mean, we can't promise that we won't visit often. And why not? Because there's so much to to be discomforted about New Orleans. Oh, as comforting yeah. as it is in New Orleans, there's a lot of discomfort there, There is. Too. There is. And this is, man. I know. this. Okay, so I am super stoked. This is the one that I picked. I, this is I, This is my favorite story. This has everything. This checks all the boxes. Like, this mm-hmm. has conspiracy it has murder it has just uh, just uh, things that will make you upset things that will make you laugh and oh it just twists and turns it's like an octopus with so many tentacles and honestly each section and each character could be its own episode right so but we're gonna get through this and um uh yeah so now that you've got your drink let's let's get into this so okay so this was a book that sat on our mother's shelf for years. I, I noticed. I don't know if you noticed it. Never. Really? I, I missed so much. 
I know. So I just one day I, I got bored and I saw it and I just noticed it for a while. So I'm going to pick this book up and read it. It's a very intriguing because. So when was that that you discovered this book? This was um, around 2009. Okay. So yeah, about 10 years ago or almost 10 years ago. No, no, I'm sorry. It goes back even, I think 2008. So it's been 10 okay. years. So it's Dr. Mary's Monkey. How the unsolved murder of a doctor, a secret laboratory in New Orleans, and cancer-causing monkey viruses are linked to the Lee Harvey Oswald assassination and emerging global epidemics. And it's by Ed Haslam. So um, so that's a mouthful right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it has all these, these things. And it's so interesting. In fact, the author Ed Haslam dubs it the hottest cold case in the U.S. Yeah, and that's for sure. Right. So... Um, before we start, I just wanted to also say that this is not another whodunit. This is not another um, JFK assassination theory. Mm-mm. So if that's what you're worried about, just rest assured. It goes so, oh, it goes so far and wide. It's you know that's not the uh, object of telling this story. Right. It's to tell. It's to actually tell this story and just how it intersects with that. Right. That's right. And parallels and it's, well, we'll get into it. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, we're in New Orleans. So, this story begins with a murder of a prominent doctor in uptown New Orleans. So, on July 21st, 1964, around 4 a.m., Juan Valdez called the New Orleans Fire Department when he saw smoke coming out of the neighbor's apartment. Isn't he the coffee dude? (laughs) Yeah, no, so it's not the, I was going to say that, it's not the coffee guy. When I was listening to, I think it was a podcast episode, and they kept talking about Juan Valdez, I was like, how did he get involved in this? This story really does have everything in it. Like, they threw it all in there in the kitchen. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's fictional from the commercials, but in my mind, I was like, wait a minute. Right. But I did just have to put that in there. I'm glad you did, because uh, I I thought the same thing. So... They found the body of Dr. Mary Sherman, and what they saw made them call the um, New Orleans Police Department because then they realized, like, this is a murder. So, Dr. Mary Sherman's body was found naked and set on fire with seven to eight stab wounds. Okay, so, and then it's interesting to note that what was reported in the media was not um, what later um, Ed Haslam, who's the author, he actually did his own in- investigating because as you'll f- see that this this um, was clearly like they just tried to just kind of close it up, say we couldn't find who it was, and walk away like nothing to see here. Mm, that sounds familiar, right? Yeah. So <laughs> it's good old New Orleans. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, it's, okay. So the what the media reported. And, um, like I said, what was in, he found later in the police and autopsy reports was, I mean, what the media did not report, but he found later in the autopsy and police reports was that her right arm mm-hmm. was completely disintegrated out to a carbonized stump mm-hmm. and her rib cage was missing. Mm-hmm. So much so that even the police, the law enforcement officers on the scene said they could see the inside of her body, like the internal organs. Yeah, I, 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 
that you remember reading I, about I, that? I want to say I read that, but I didn't actually. I listen. I listened <laughs> to that. Right. So, you know that, that. Of course, that when he saw that, he you know he was not. He saw her body, but when he saw that that was in the autopsy in the police report. He he harkened back to well that wasn't in the media in the newspapers anything like that that that's strange why did they leave that part out? like of course why not. would you I mean because that's just gory yeah absolutely so um so who was Dr Mary Sherman and we'll get back we'll get back to that but um just want to kind of go into who she was because this woman was ahead of her time like she was a woman in science but she is just was so accomplished so she and she certainly didn't get. And doesn't get the credit that she really does deserve, even, you know, for posthumously. Mm-hmm. So she was born on April 21st in 1913. I thought that was kind of Your birthday? Yeah, we shared the same birthday. So in Evanston, Illinois. So she studied at Northwestern University and the University of Chicago. And this is where so many Nor- Nobel laureates have come out of. And so she studied under Enrico Fermi and Harold Urey, Urey who mm-hmm. invented the atomic bomb. So she was definitely up there with some of the greatest learning, um, uh, all the latest things in, in radiation. So she's been accredited with bringing radiation into medicine. Mm-hmm. My major professor um, went to Northwestern. Oh, okay. But he didn't do anything like that. Yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would be he's yeah. awesome. Oh, of awesome course, person, of course, super, super intelligent, but nothing like that. Well, because they had already done it before him, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but <laughs> she was published in Radiation and Cancer and Orthopedic Surgery, and that's going to come into play later as we'll get into. But she, like I said, she was a world-renowned woman scientist, and she was just doing the. Things and pioneering science for uh, as far as a woman at her time. So she was chair of the pathology committee of the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. And so when this happened and her murder, that uh, they tried to like there were rumors circling around, and what they did was they tried to discredit her by talking about how this was a lesbian love affair gone wrong like uh, had all the hallmarks of a psychosexual murderer because her body was set on fire she was right. stabbed she was found naked and so it was they violent right yes exactly and so um until this day her murder is still unsolved so Dr. well i mean that's the kind of murder where you know you meant to tear her apart. Right. You know? Yeah. Like you, you meant that murder. Right, And yeah. there's no question. Absolutely. I mean, that's why the fire department called the, the police department, because they're like, whoa, this is not someone who just uh, happened to catch on fire and die in a fire. Right. So, Dr. Mary Sherman and the author Ed Haslam, his father, they both taught orthopedic surgery at Tulane together. And so, Tulane... I haven't mentioned yet, but Tulane is a um, university in New Orleans. It's very pre- prestigious. Yeah, it's sometimes referred to as the Ivy League School of the South. I've seen that. I've seen Harvard of the South. I've also heard that um, people apply there if they can't get in Harvard. Right, it's their backup. <laughs> right. 
So, no, it's true. Yeah, that's what I hear. So, um, and so at that time, Tulane managed the Primate Research Center, which was the largest primate research center in the U.S. But now it's on the North Shore, where you live in your neighborhood. It sure is. <laughs> they have about five thousand monkeys, mm-hmm. and they have escaped before. Uh, <laughs> on more than one occasion. Right. So you better watch out. well it's funny because i was telling you earlier there's a comic from covington his name is theo vaughn i'm sure someone out there has heard of him and he has a stand-up routine and he talks about (laughs) the time the monkeys got loose (laughs) the time well a time a time the monkeys got loose in the 80s Monkeys are smart. Yeah. Well, they can, I would not stay. I would run, too, if I right. was. Right. Because you know. they know a lot more than they're able to express to us. Right. So they're like, what the hell? We're in cages. We're in cages, and you're doing your human experiments on us, and we're going to get out of here. I mean, who knows? I don't even know how they're locked in there, but maybe they take their little monkey hands. <laughs> I'm sure it's way more complicated. I know. I know. I'm so, it hurts my heart because I'm such an animal lover to even think about this. It, it really is. But the other thing too well, is. Well, and the fact that they're, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but the fact that they're so closely uh, related to modern humans, you know, that. It's right. Just, Which is why they test on them. I mean, let's I face it. And their blood is very similar to ours and DNA and that sort of thing. But it's awful. It is. But then there's that familiarity that just makes you feel. Well, but just wait because this story gets way more yeah, heinous. God, I mean, like, if I'm upset now, <laughs> like, yeah, if you're upset now, turn it off because right. it gets way more heinous. Right. Exactly. So <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, I hope you are buckled in for this one. Like, seriously. You know, if you, you drink and then definitely have a cocktail because mm-hmm. you're gonna need it, right? So, oh, oh, also speaking of the primate research center during Katrina, they didn't lose any monkeys. Now they got out before, but during Katrina, they didn't lose any. And did I mention they have a great PR? It's <laughs> 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 fabulous, wonderful, and also it. it I okay. Let's let me back up to before I even picked this book up and read it, you know, um, off the shelves. And even like to this day, I knew there was the Primate Research Center, but I had really thought a lot of because you see products that say not tested on animals. And so I really thought that was with PETA. I really thought that was a movement that had um, that really had really taken off. It was it really is astounding to know that they do test on these animals probably more than ever. In fact, COVID Oh, well, is there, is there now? Right. They brought, I remember texting you. I was like, get her watch out. They and this brought was, COVID to test on. <laughs> I remember that because it was right before the, the break, the outbreak. Right. It was just, you know, we were hearing about it in the media. It was just, it was basically on the cusp of quarantine. Yeah. And I was like, oh, ha, ha, ha. Right. COVID's in Covington. Oh, my God. What am I going to do? Because I'm a germaphobe and, you know, like I'm <laughs> a panic. Like you hit the panic button. Terrified of it. So, yes. And then I was like, ha, ha, they better get that out of here. Ha, ha, ha. And then a week later, it was like, bam. <laughs> you know, everybody's got right, COVID. Right. Oh, well, yeah. 
Because that means they knew before we did, for sure. They all, you know, that they being the researchers. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Mary Sherman's arm was disintegrated, like I said, down to nothing but a stump and a rib case was, was missing. But the mattress um, was burned, but nothing else. Like, her hair did not catch on fire, which is very easy to burn. Um, the curtains... The carpet, the clothes next to her, there were some books. None of these things were burned, but yet, whatever the source of the heat was so much that it disintegrated her bones. Which, okay, and if you listen to any kind of forensics, I mean, obviously, I'm not an expert in that you know, but if you listen to any kind of person who is an expert, you have to have like a crematorium type incinerator to burn through bone. That it takes some kind of serious. What's the word I'm looking for? Well, heat. Well, this the heat, right? And the exposure to the heat. Well, this is something that I learned from this book is that when you are cremated. You're essentially they dry the bones, they dehydrate the bones, and they grind them up. So it's more of dust than it is ash that's burned. I mean, we're talking about heat in excessive amounts of 500, 5,000 degrees. That's what I'm saying. Right. Like whatever this was right. has to be something serious. Right. And I'm not saying fire's not hot because <laughs> it is. You know, like it's just a little fire. <laughs> It's not so hot. People, <laughs> fire is still hot, okay? Right. Fire is... This just in. Fire is still hot. Just, just All right. All right. Can, um, I, can I walk us back just yeah. for... Just, I'm sorry, but... So, I just found in a in a um, or an article on the Google machine... That the last breakout or escape was in 1998. And they set fruit traps and searched the woods for two dozen rhesus monkeys that escaped. Um, (laughs) And by the way, the Louisiana Primate Research Center is the world's largest with the 5,000 monkeys. But they broke out of the... Because you were talking about, did they use their little monkeys? So that's why I wanted to walk us back just for a minute. They did. They broke out of their cage, but it doesn't say, you know. How? Yeah. How. On a Sunday night, startling suburban New Orleans residents. Well, we're not technically New Orleans residents, but we live on the North Shore. Um, there's a ton of New Orleans residents that live there. Was that Former. what Theo was talking about? Yeah, I thought he said 80s, but this must have been, it must have been 90s. Okay. And then it says... They broke through a gate and a chain link fence that surrounds their living areas, and they did capture most of them. Was this the 86? 98. Whoa, that's almost 100 monkeys uh-huh. running. Oh, no, I'm sorry. You're right. I'm dumb. Um, this is, it doesn't say how many. This is 1998. Okay, okay. I did because I came across in my research that eighty six monkeys at one point, but I know there's more than one breach. Or well, this is two or dozen escape, I guess. Yeah, so this is nineteen ninety eight October. It says two dozen monkeys escape. So this was twenty four. Uh, 
I mean, that's a lot of monkeys running around. And they, it says, okay, so here's what it says. Workers had captured most. I know. Okay. Okay. Well, what the fuck happened to the rest of them? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) There was probably somebody that said, come here, look at little monkey. (laughs) Right. Well, I would have saved Disease. It's all disease. Right. Okay, because they, they study cancer, malaria, leprosy. <laughs> come, come here, monkey, monkey, look, monkey. And, look, that would be your downfall because you're so germaphobic, but you're like, <laughs> but you're such an animal lover. You're like, come here, little monkey. <laughs> and then knowing it's got so many viruses <laughs> and germs inside it, but you're just, it's just in this cute little monkey body. I just bring him a disease vector, no right. big deal. Yeah, it's good. It's all Look good. what I found. Right. Can we keep it? Jimmy's like, sure, bring it. That's fine. Okay, sorry. I didn't mean to like No, you're derailed, but I know that's good to okay. know. And you live over there. That's good for you to know. Like watch out for well, the Well, yeah, and so I moved there in uh two thousand, so that was just a couple years before I moved there. Oh yeah. That's crazy. So and like we said, so it takes upwards of five hundred thousand degrees to do damage like that yeah so we're talking yeah so something with about five million volts of electricity so what i what i am hinting at is a linear particle accelerator Mm -hmm. and ed haslam found two witnesses and is in his investigation that um one of them was the the guy who actually installed it in a government facility in New Orleans, and the other one was um, someone that worked in the building. And that is the infectious disease department in, um, uh, okay, I can't remember, but it's in the government building that uh, at the time. And I, that building is still there. I was trying to find it. In fact, I need to because I'd like to know where that one is. Just just, uh, just to satisfy my own curiosity. Though. Right. So, um, a linear particle cellar accelerator is used in medicine. Um, they use it still, from what I understand, and it, yes. especially for cancer treatment. Yes. So, it shoots a beam of radiation and without the nuclear explosion. Um, it's a concentrated beam of radiation. Which supposedly makes it safer. Right. But, but it's still radiation. Yeah. Right. Right. So, what Ed Haslam is proposing that... Either she was accidentally exposed to this beam of radiation that um, disintegrated her arm and rib cage, mm-hmm. or maybe it was intended. But I think um, it leans toward more toward maybe it was accidentally because um, I mentioned she was stabbed seven or eight times. Well, one right. of them was in the heart, and that was this is something else I I learned, which is interesting that you can tell when you're um, stabbed that it's either post mortem. Right. Or, or um or when you're alive. And um so this one was while she was alive because her heart actually did hemorrhage. Because they can measure the amount of um blood that was still in her heart and I forgot how much it was, but not as much as it should have been. So it hemorrhaged. So they, they think so he well, he thinks that that was a mercy killing. You know, like okay, so she she's still alive after she gets in her bones incinerated and then they just stab her in the heart to just go ahead and well, that, and then they were trying to cover up with. Yes, right, right. 
they were doing. <laughs> right. I think I just jumped. <laughs> no, but exactly. We'll get to that too. Okay. But it's like, oh yeah, oh uh, fuck. Because how do we explain this one? Exactly. So sorry not supposed about to be, jumping ahead, but I'm not supposed to have this linear particle accelerator in this building. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So. So she then she was like I said she was stabbed in the mercy kill, but this also lends to the fact that um, well, Haslam I'm just gonna call him Haslam from here on out. Haslam states that um, that she was actually killed off site, but then brought her body was brought back to her apartment. And the apartment was staged, mm-hmm. which is why they set the mattress on fire. And stabbed her a few more times because one of the other stab wounds was in her liver, and then the liver did not hemorrhage. So that was a post-mortem stab. Okay. Well, and I don't want to, you know, jump jump ahead. But, okay, so nothing else in the apartment burned. Right, just the mattress. So then that was the other thing. So they strip her naked, you know, stab her a couple more times. I know, and then set the mattress on fire to cover it up, and they're like, oh, we'll just cover it up and make it, she'll burn the rest of her body, and why would they think that? Or they're just like, oh, well, that part's burned. Of course it's just a burning. You know, what? No. Like, people who actually know about how fire works and how um, your body burns would know, wait a minute, there's something else to this. Mm -hmm. But not when you get... The police department involved, and you can say, "Hey, um, there's nothing to see here." Right. It's Move along. Like, yeah. Shut the books. She's she's a murderer. Mm-hmm. Go about your business. Um, which is exactly what happened because they called the presser. The police did, and they said that they're like basically in so many words said we cannot solve this one, and then they went along their merry way. So 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 right off the bat, you have to cover up, and so. Um, it's interesting also to note that Haslam even tried to get the police file um, by one of his friends in the New Orleans Police de- uh, Department. This was in the 70s. So this was after, several years after her murder. And so it was a friend of his and he asked. And then um, they, uh, the friend almost got fired, the one that right. worked for the police department, just because he asked just for Just for it. asking. So that's just like, what is that all I about? I mean, it, it screams cover up yeah like this some, something's definitely definitely not right here so the linear particle accelerator was being used um uptown new orleans and this was to mutate monkey viruses which is why the investigation was shut down and like i said that's why he dubbed it the hottest cold case in the u.s so weren't they doing this in like a house okay we're gonna get to okay, that okay sorry not the um not the radiation no, not mm, the not mm, the radiation. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, we yeah we will definitely get to that part. Okay, okay. So this is uh, this is a medical Manhattan project yep. going on in New Orleans, and what what better place like other than somewhere where you might ex- expect right like New Orleans? I mean, uh, Chicago or you know New York or whatever. No, we'll hide it down south in New Orleans. You know, let's put it down there. Yeah, in the 60s. Like, who's going to think about that? They're not, they were probably thinking New Orleans was, um, there's a lot of hustle and bustle down there anyway, but not that kind. Well, and they 
probably knew that they would be well protected. Right. So why were they mutating monkey viruses with a linear particle accelerator? Because that's, that's, that's a strange thing. Like, that's a strange activity, right? So, oh, that's just a Tuesday. Right. In New Orleans, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> What do you do? We're smashing atoms in New Orleans. I'm getting smashed and we're smashing atoms. I mean, it's possible. I mean, that's that's a new that's a new t shirt. <laughs> so, well, okay. So this is where I tell you that this story is about the polio epidemic. Like, whoa. Like you just opened with it with an unsolved murder. What are mm-hmm. you talking about? Yes. All right, so in 1955 to 1963, the, the polio vaccine was released. And everybody knows the story. Jonas Salk, he invented the polio vaccine, and they eradicated polio. And there you go. Like, you open the history books, and, and they, it's on your test. Like, Plank invented the polio vaccine. And everybody writes, you know, Salk down there, right? So, Jonas Salk and Albert Sabin... We're growing polio on monkey kidney cells for the polio vaccine. What? Yes, this is how they did it. This is how they, at that time, and they weren't the only ones. In fact, there were six labs with um, researchers. They were trying to rush to get this polio vaccine out. Oh, yeah. Right. That's, And they were all growing it on monkey kidneys. Yeah. Which, so... Um, Cutter Labs, um, they were one of them, one of the six. And Salk was working on creating this vaccine for Cutter Labs. So what they would do is they would remove the kidneys from the macaque and macay monkeys. And they would snip it with scissors, blend it into like a a liquidy, bumpy mess (laughs) or suspension. Okay, that should probably say suspension. (laughs) Mess mess. works. (laughs) So they would put it in formaldehyde and kill it. Yeah, nice. That's what you want to inject it into your body, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody knew this. Nobody knew they were getting monkey cells that were that the viruses were grown on them, chopped up, blended up, and then and killed with formaldehyde and well, injected into them. And that's a good point because you know when you go to get routine vaccines, you don't really know. What's in it? You know right. what you're. You know what they're telling you right. is in it, but you don't know how it's produced. You don't know no. um, how it's grown. You don't know how. You don't know any of that stuff. No, and that's such a good point because we do take that on faith that the that our doctors are guiding us and telling us, you know, the the right things that you know because they. So, but then who knows? Maybe that's what they're being told. Exactly. So. It just trickles down. Well, and you just don't know because you weren't there. Right. You don't know. Right. All you know is how it shows up in um, an ampule, and here it is. And, I mean, it is it is blind faith in a lot of ways. Right. And even, um, it's like the anthrax vaccine. That was such a uh, big deal in, in the military when they took that yeah it was the squamous cells which was the suspension that they had it in so it was just like you just can't win like you know you you want to get vaccinated from these diseases but you know 
wow. You, and then you never find, you. well, you always find out later, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that, there's that. So when they took the polio viruses uh, out, uh, when they, you know, they took them out of the, the, the kidney cells, grew them on the kidneys, and they chopped them up, and they blended them. <laughs> I'm like, I'm doing terrible. This sounds delicious. <laughs> chop blend it slices it dices it yeah so they were getting every other virus in the kidney as well can you imagine but they did not know that at the time so and they also at the time they didn't know that they they had not linked viruses causing cancer that was not not even i say that that's not a lot of them weren't so sure about that but um nothing published right and that's a good point, too, because there's, you know, today we're so connected, mm-hmm. you know, through social media, especially, you know, you, you, the information has nowhere to hide. And not that it was hiding back then, but everything was siloed. So in 1955, they held a presser in Michigan when the March of Dimes announced the results of the polio trials. And that, okay, and so I should point out here, too, though, because we, I don't know, you don't know, we don't know, because this was before we were born, mm-hmm. but polio was scary to a lot of people you know it was a it was crippling their kids and killing their kids and they didn't know like there wasn't a vaccine there wasn't a cure for it they didn't know what to do with that so i mean they even had a president that had polio so So i think the epidemic was identified in the early 1900s affecting just in New York, it killed, I think, 2,400 people. Most of them were children. And then it left um, thousands more with uh, disabilities. Right. Um, and that's the heavy strain because they yeah. have heavy, they have medium, and then they have light, which just gives you flu-like. Yeah. Cold, you know, flu-like. Sometimes. That's the worst case scenario well death is the worst case scenario but of course yeah so they said they said that the salt vaccine so he that was out of the cutter labs and then they said it was safe and effective and it was proven um and they announced this to the public without any government approval before they stamped it safe through the government they're like oh yeah because there was such a rush to get this done and there was a competition they were um, trying to see who would throw money at it, you know, the funding. But um, they even gave Salk an award on the White House lawn. Like I said, that's the one that everybody remembers. You say, who who eradicated polio? Oh, it was or the polio yeah. vaccine at Salk. He gets the credit, right? So within days, there were reports of paralysis. And within a month, the first max vaccination program against polio had been abandoned. Because... Um, People were, they were coming, like, from this vaccination, they were getting crippled, and, and there were a couple of deaths. So And that's freaking scary to yeah. people. Their kids are, well, not just kids, adults too, but mostly children right. are afflicted with this. Yes, because, um, so Cutter was out of California, and they had, from this mass, mass vaccination, they caused 40,000 cases of polio and 200 children with varying degrees of paralysis. And then, like I said, it, it killed it killed 10 of them. So this was the biggest mistake in medical history and the largest cover-up. 
Because who knows about that? Do you put that on? You get the asked about that on a test? No. <laughs> who had the biggest? Like, what was right. the biggest medical mistake? Right. Absolutely not. So, um, and then Bernice Eddy, she was an American virologist and epidemic epidemiologist oh there are words again words are hard <laughs> words what start a podcast yeah all you words have to do is speak yeah that's hard. how it's great you got it just speak <laughs> actually you pronounce those just fine right. um and bernice eddie was the she would do the testing for the vaccines that was um one of the things that she did so so her and Sarah Stewart, they are known for um, discovering a polyoma virus. Hmm. Yeah. And also the SV40, which is simian virus 40. So mm-hmm. they had found 39 before this one. Mm-hmm. All right. So this is a cancer-causing monkey virus that millions of people were exposed to through the contaminated polio vaccine. But you won't find that. No. You won't no. find that anywhere. She was ridiculed. She went to her supervisors. She even spoke at a, a New York um, convention. First of all, she's a woman. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. In the 50s and the 60s. Like, what the hell does she know? She's a woman. And she's trying to shoot down the polio virus that they had already, though at this time, they had given out 100 million people um, a vaccine. Right. So they're like, what are you talking about? Like, no, we're not. Like, who is this woman trying to, like, throw red tape onto what we're doing here? You know, they've got money Somebody behind get her out of here. Right. Get her out of here and shut her up. So, what? but what she did, though, was she gave it to her monkeys. Some of them died and some of them were crippled. And she even, she told Bitch. them. Right. Right. Rain on our parade. So she told them, like, hold off on this vaccine campaign until we can find out how to solve this. Of course, they, they're they like, um, no, we've already sent 100 out. We've got another 100 million, 100 million out. And they, they couldn't gotta, stop that oh, train. You couldn't roll that back. No. You can, what were you going to say? Oh, sorry. We just, we just vaccinated you. But, Oops. But good news, maybe, is that you won't get polio. But bad news is might get cancer what <laughs> that's not so yeah so they took Salk's vaccine off the shelf and they replaced it with Sabin's vaccine so albert Sabin Sabin was another um virologist who was also working out of another lab and like i said um there were six labs so that was another one of them but he used um so Salk used a stronger strain which is why they believe that he was getting um the deaths and the um, the the crippled ones out of it, but Sabin used a weaker strain, and his was um, his method was orally, but his vaccine was also grown. The polio virus was also grown on the monkey kidney cells. So I know what you're saying. Like this is all well and good, but how does this connect to Doctor Sherman in in New Orleans? Right. Right. Well, I'm gonna tell you. So, enter Dr. Alton Oshner. And let me tell you, for those of, of you who don't know who that is, I'm about to tell you who he is, but in New Orleans, he's a household name. You cannot, like, and Christy, you see it more than I do, you can't throw a rock 
in New Orleans without hitting a medical facility with his name on it. I know. Like, this man is... They have an enormous footprint. This man is revered. Like, he's a medical god in this area. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about who Dr. Alton Oshner was. Stand by. We interrupt this program for an important announcement. Ladies and gentlemen. Are you standing by? A very important message is coming. Are you still standing by? We interrupt for this breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. There's a podcast that happens on Saturday night that you need to know about. All right, can I get out of serious mode? Let's go to Goofy. Okay. Make sure to listen to Louisiana Saturday Night. Robert and April are your hosts, and they talk a lot about current events. And occasionally they'll have a guest and include them on the conversation. It's raw, it's blunt, and explicit. (laughs) Well, if there is one thing I know, and that is I like dirty. Uh, Anyway, ahem. It's for anyone who wants to have fun and not take life so seriously. And God knows we need that these days. Robert and April on Louisiana Saturday Night. Check them out at louisianasaturdaynight.podbean.com. this song me too this is my new favorite song i think you better slow down though you're going kind of fast uh-oh it's too late uh-huh. oh my god it's a motorcycle cop that reminds me i've been listening to this new podcast called motor cop chronicles podcast motor cock chronicles motor cop Chronicles. Get your mind out of the gutter. I mean, they do wear those tight pants and boots. And bike. Oh, my God. The Iceman, the host of the show, he is so hilarious. He tells all of his stories from from people that he stopped and pulled over and crashes. He has rants that he goes on about people and, and their habits and bad habits and everything. He does it in the news section. It is so funny. You're going to have to listen to it. I guess I'm going to have to check out Motor Cop Chronicles then. Yes, you are. Ma'am, I pulled you over for doing 80 and a 45. I'm going to need your driver's license, insurance, and registration, please. Okay, well, I was not going 80. I'm not here to argue with you. I need the information now. Fine. Right, stand by. I'll be right back. I wonder if that was the Iceman. I don't know, but if it was, that means we might be on his next podcast. Maybe so. All right, ma'am, I need you to sign right here. It's not admission of guilt. The state you're going to pay a citation or show up in court. All right, thank you. Drive safe. Yes, sir. You too. Oh, my God. It was the Iceman. You see right here on this ticket? He signed it, the Iceman. We are so on the next podcast. He is going to mention us. I wonder if he thought we were cute. 
Oh my god, yes. I'm definitely going to check out Motor Cop Chronicles to see if we're on there. It's so funny. Who was Alton Oshner? So for one thing, he was Dr. Mary Sherman's boss, and he had stock in Cutter Labs. Hmm. Yeah, so there you go. So he, he was born in Kimball, South Dakota, and he studied at the University of South Dakota and Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri. But um, his uncle was, um, he was the famous one. He was a famous surgeon. He was A.J. Oshner. So he was chief of surgery at two hospitals in Chicago. He was also the founder and president of the American College of Surgeons and head of surgery at the University of Illinois Medical School. And he had, so he was well-connected worldwide. He had so many international medical contacts. And this is how Alton was trained in medicine um, under, like, the, the best, the leading surgeons. So, um, oh, and A.J. Oshner, his uncle, he was best friend with best friends with William J. Mayo, the founder of the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. Wow. Oh uh, yeah. So when I tell you like famous, he was famous. And um so when um Oshner started his clinic, he actually modeled it after the Mayo Clinic. Wow. Right. So in nineteen twenty one, Oshner trained under his uncle. And his uncle secured his residency in Switzerland and Germany. So, yeah, worldwide. He was worldwide. So, Oshner brought his blood transfusion expertise to Europe. And while he was in Switzerland, still doing his residency, he, uh, so a prominent banker came in and he was admitted with heavy blood loss. And this was due to a ruptured ulcer. The Swiss doctors, they were... They were at a loss. There was nothing they could do to help him. And they were, um, they didn't want to be embarrassed if he died and they lost him. So they said, Hey, um, AJ, oh, I'm sorry, Alton. Hey, Alton, like, come over. Can you assist us with this? Because, um, because he was trained in, um, in blood transfusions. And so he did. He helped him, and the patient survived. And so, basically, like, save the day, save the reputation of the doctors and this hospital. And because this was not an approved procedure, right? In fact, it's experimental. Exactly. And in fact, the, they were very skeptical in in Switzerland at the time about this, because, like you said, it was like all new. It was like cutting edge. And so, and that's something, I mean, if you're getting a blood transfusion, like, we don't really think about that today, but can you imagine then? Mm-mm. Like, that's, no. that, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, you're going to take blood, 
and you're going to put it into another, you know, someone else's blood, and you're going to take it and put it in somebody else. Like, that was a scary thing, I'm sure. A very, you know, like we said, experimental. So once this happened, they claimed Ashner was the blood transfusion expert of Europe. And he was a medical celebrity in Europe at the time. And he was only 27. Right. So, like, that's that's an, a quite that's quite accomplished at 27 years old. My gosh, I'd look back to when I was 27. I had, yeah, I was nowhere near that. So, teaches at University of Wisconsin and then is uh, given the head of surgery department at Tulane Medical School. So, that's how he wound up. In New Orleans. That's right. And he, he with his uncle's help, he goes straight to the top. Oh, he, of course. Right. And he, so yeah, he, well, okay, he taught a year, only one year. One he, year. One year at um, Wisconsin after your residency. He just one year, then you go straight and you pass all these other doctors who are probably waiting in line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you, okay. It's because of who he was. For sure. I mean, I'm not discrediting right him. Of course, I'm just. I guess the the elevation to that position at such a young age so quickly, right? So um, I thought this was interesting. What I found in my research, he had once butted heads with Huey P at Charity Hospital. Imagine that, <laughs> right? Imagine butting heads what, with Huey P. Long. Imagine these two. You had two alphas. Right? Huge alphas. Alpha males. I love it, though. (laughs) I I wonder who won. (laughs) Right. You know, and Huey P. had built Charity Hospital, so wonder, yeah, wonder who did win (laughs) there. But in 1936, Alton Oshner is actually credited, and this is huge, for linking cigarette smoking to causing cancer. Right. They thought he was crazy. Which, why? Because, I mean... Can can you imagine? Because everybody was smoking yeah. then. You know, they marketed it. In fact, they used smoking to um, for, like, asthma and, and lung patients. Mm-hmm. Like, they prescribed smoking cigarettes. Right. And here he is. He's like, wait, wait a minute. He noticed that there were increased lung cancer. Um, like, lung cancer was on the rise in these patients who were smoking cigarettes. And so, anyway, so that was, I mean, that's quite an accomplishment. Absolutely. And then in 1949, he was president of the American Cancer Society, and he sat on the board of directors with William Wild Bill Donovan, who was the founder and head of the U.S. Office of Strategic Services, Covert Warfare and Intelligence during World War II, and predecessor of the CIA. Hmm. Like, he's rubbing shoulders with, like, these yeah. big war guys. Yeah. So, this was... Then, then we get into, like, who he was as a person. So, he was, as a professor, professor, he was harsh. And he would screen questions in the amphitheater, which they called the bullpen. And he would just screen questions at them and some kind of psycho... Um, what they described as a psycho quiz thing, like quiz show... And when they would answer, he would berate them. And he justified this by saying, well, medicine is stressful. And you guys, y'all need to think, y'all need to think, how psychotic is this? Y'all need to think under pressure. Y'all need to make these decisions, you know, under I mean, but there's pressure. other ways of <laughs> right. training right. baby doctors. 
than right. fear. Yeah, they said they even fainted and they would throw up like because they were in such a stressful state. Right. When he was there. He even grabbed his son in front of everybody by the lapels and shook him. And, and he said that you will not treat this any different than I would. Okay, well, based on what I know that we're going to get into, I'm not surprised about that. Right. So, um, needless to say, he was a harsh, harsh man. He would beat his kids, and he was known as the fastest build in New Orleans. Nice. Like that. <laughs> and that was evidently something that he was proud of. Like, he wore that as, like, a badge of honor. But um, he even ridiculed Dr. Spock because Dr. Spock, he spoke out against physical discipline and negative reinforcement. And so he, he blamed him on all the bad things, including abortions. Wow. Because because you're it's it's because you're not beating your kids enough. They're having abortions. This is okay. It is. It's psychotic. It's borderline psychotic. I mean he was German, so Right. There's that. Um so Oshner proposed that Tulane start its own medical hospital and they declined. So then he asked if he could and they, they didn't oppose. Right. So and then you have the start of all this this whole Oshner network, which even, you know, we even have Oshner up here. Mm-hmm. I'll say up here in the Baton Rouge area. It's everywhere. I don't, I mean, is it all over? Well, Louisiana? Is it North regionally. It, well, it's it's in Mississippi. It's, I mean, oh, I they, they have an enormous uh, footprint. footprint. Enormous. Does it go outside of Louisiana, do you know? Yes. Definitely in Mississippi. Oh, me. yeah, you just said that. Hello. I guess I was just kind of thinking that was the same. So, area. well, I mean, region, you know, Mississippi kind of bleeds into. Right. Um, oh, let's see. So they have over a hundred locations. Um, let's see. I think it's primarily and Louisiana, Mississippi, because you know the hospital in Macomb. Which we've referenced our hometown in Pike County, Mississippi, in previous episodes. Um, the hospital is actually um, partnered with Oshner. I did not know that. Yes, yes. It hasn't always been. No, just within the last several years. Okay, that, that's interesting to note. Okay, so, so enormous footprint. Right. Okay. So his hospital was they catered to the Latin American elite. He's and he's served financial and political elites in Central and South America. And so this is important because New Orleans at that time was um, America's pipeline to Latin America. You know, the, the mouth of right. the Mississippi River, you're right there by Mexico, and it's just a short little shoot up, and then um, everything kind of comes out for there or it can go out from, mm-hmm. you know, from the port, you know, of a huge port city. Actually, with the Mississippi River being the largest commercial waterway in the U.S., right. and so Louisiana was crucial in the Central and South American trade. So um, he was also known to be anti-communist at that time. Um, he, uh, oh, he had Castro in Cuba, and then the um, the idea was the threat coming up through um, the Central Americas, up through Mexico, and you know, that was just way too close for comfort. He founded INCA, the International Council for Americas. 
And this was um, politically charged at that time, especially in this area. So, okay, so here you have New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And then you have the failed Bay of Pigs, mm-hmm. the Cuban Missile Crisis, um, where Cuba had allowed the Soviets to aim their missiles at us from their little island. And New Orleans was certainly in the cone of destruction. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so, and that was like intended as well. So, oh, yeah, that was not by accident. Right. And every, every body down there at this time, it was on high alert for sure. Oh, yeah. And so, so then you have Castro in Cuba. So he nationalized all American businesses, the mile-run casinos and hotels, sugar, oil, tobacco plantations, the banks. And then you have the anti-Castro Cubans in New Orleans. A lot of them came um, to New Orleans. So um, then there was an embargo issued, and that took 25% of the trade out of New Orleans right there. So high alert. Yeah, when I yeah, say that's this. that's significant. Right, and like I said, they were trying to stop communism from spreading um, through Latin America, and that would certainly come up through New Orleans. But um, also, there was a huge fruit trade from the Americas, the South, you know, Central South America, um, that came out of New Orleans. And basically, New Orleans was just a hub for all this industry, all this commercial industry. So, with that being said, there was a lot of right-wing anti-communism attitudes, and Alton Oshner was um, certainly one of them. And there was a lot of political power in New Orleans and Louisiana as well. So, during this time, Louisiana had a very powerful, or had many very powerful delegates in the House of Representatives at the time. You had Hellbox, you had um, F. Ed Hebert, so... Louisiana representatives, they've also had been in Washington for a long time. And so they were the ones that were all all the committees. Um, They were controlling a lot of the funds and where they would be spent and that kind of thing. So this also included money that would go to the medical facilities, and then Oshner was no exception. So Oshner, he had over 40 years of covert ops with the government agencies, and he was performing discreet surgery for the FBI at discounted rates. Wow. <laughs> I read that and I thought, that's pretty funny. Like, he was plugged in. He was plugged in to uh, to the, the uh, government agencies, all the alphabet agencies. He was definitely well connected. The FBI had a huge file on Oshner and all his connections to the U.S. military. So he was a consultant to the U.S. Army and the U.S. Air Force. Hoover approved him for the special agent in charge of the New Orleans office. Like That just kind of sounds like words, but that's huge. So especially okay, but at based, this time. So special agent, what exactly is that? like? So FBI agents, that's what they are. They're special agents. Or, and then they have a special agent in charge. But so he just he, right, de they, facto was right. a special agent in the FBI. Right, exactly. Wow. Right. Okay. You are re- wow. you are hearing that correctly. Yep. That's exactly what that means. So Okay. In nineteen fifty nine the FBI discontinued him with and they that freed him up to accept an assignment for an undisclosed government agency. So and we're gonna get into this, but um, so, I, I guess now we're, what we'll do is we'll talk about um, after the Cutter incident. So, 
in case I didn't say, because I don't remember, the um, the whole debacle with the Salk vaccine, because, you know, Salk's vaccine was out of Cutter Labs. That was the one where it, um, it killed 11 people. Right. Okay, so that's known as the Cutter incident. In fact, you can even Google that. There was apprehension after this um, about the polio vaccine. Mm-hmm. He calls his faculty in, and he tells them that he wouldn't do anything that they or expect them to do anything that he wouldn't do so he injects his grandson and his granddaughter right in front of them just to show them how safe and effective that this polio vaccine was and that's certainly how he felt now mind you remember he owns stock and cutter but within 72 hours his grandson dies and his granddaughter tracks polio so it was his grandchildren, not his children? Correct. It's okay. his grandchildren. And like this, I know, like you don't hear about this, but this, I mean, you can actually, like I said, you can search this and you can find this. So after they realized that the cancer-causing monkey viruses have contaminated the polio vaccine, in which they mass inoculated over 100 million people in what was known as the, the largest vaccination campaign, they wondered... What would happen if you expose these people to radiation, such as x-rays? And this was extremely common in medicine. So, they kept this a secret, and they quietly got to work to find the cure. So, this is how the Medical Manhattan Project is put into New Orleans with Dr. Alton Oshner and Dr. Mary Sherman. And Dr. Mary Sherman, she's the leading cancer researcher along with Oshner and they both were orthopedic surgeons and they are experts in x-ray radiation and they they dealt with polio patients because they were orthopedic surgeons because that's what happened like when you contracted polio um, or when these kids were contracting polio a lot of them were crippled so that's what they did they brought their children to um, orthopedic surgeons they were also blood experts because the blood cells are producing bones. And then these two are perfect for this project. You think about it. If you had to secretly work on a project to, to try to find out, uh, like, how to solve the polio vaccination problem and how to solve the fact that the polio vaccine was contaminated with cancer-causing monkey viruses, you're going to put Dr. Alton Oshner and Dr. Mary Sherman on this. And we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll get into more of this. You've been listening to Southern Discomfort with April and Christine. As you can tell, this is one of the most unique podcasts on the internet. So we want you to be able to reach out to us. Send emails to Southern Discomfort Podcast at gmail.com. On Facebook at Southern Discomfort Podcast. And on Instagram at Southern Discomfort PC. And for shows, visit Southern Discomfort.podbean.com. And this podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts. Till next time, keep one eye open because you never know what you might see. This is Southern Discomfort. Signing off.